Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Ash Wednesday's coming soon, Lent. Exciting time in the life of the church. Welcome to those of you in the room. Uh, we know many more who are joining us online from all over the place. It's good to worship God together in this way. Uh, my name's James Howell, and uh, we're really glad you're here. Some of you are visiting with us. We're really honored. Uh, she'll tell you in a minute what to do if you're visiting. I wanted to mention, while I've still got the floor, uh, that we have a lot of things that are going on. You can participate in those. We hope you will. This Wednesday at 11 a.m. and then repeated at 7 p.m., I'm going to teach you a little Bible session on the Bible and marriage. It's not five secrets in the Bible to have a happy marriage. It's the story of all the quirky, bizarre, they all are, marriages in the Bible and people struggling to have relationship and what's in there for all of us to learn, kind of how to be God's people. Uh, so that you'll uh, be able to come to that. Uh, again, I'm James Howell. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Taylor Pride Barefoot. Good morning. It's so good to be with you all in worship. Uh, if you are new or you come and worship with us every Sunday, we want you to let us know that you're here. There's a couple ways to do that, one of which there's a QR code on the back of our bulletin that you can use. And there's also hospitality pads that are on the inside of the pews that we invite you to sign in um, and pass them down so other folks can as well. We are so grateful that we get to worship God together in this place.
church, let us continue to join our voices together as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which you can find in your hymnal on page 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Friends, it is our great privilege to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism this morning. Jessica and Mitchell Pallet bring their daughter, Lola Lair. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. So friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say, we do. Do you confess Christ as your savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say, we do. And will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, she may be guided to accept God's grace for herself, profess her faith, op her faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, say, we will. And will you, the members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include this family now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround this family with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in a way that leads to life? If so, say, we will. Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water in her who receives it. To wash away her sin and clothe her in righteousness throughout her life. 
that dying and being raised with Christ, she may share in your final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Therefore, let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Child of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. reminds us that we are loved and we belong no matter how broken the world may be. So we rejoice in that as we pray our prayer of confession together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with the 21st verse. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? It is he who sits above the circle of earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, and brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, and the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, 
and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Mark chapter 1, beginning with the 30th verse. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered together about the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Emerson and Hannah, thank you for that reading. Uh, this is a Sunday when we uh, think of the pride and joy that we have in our scouting program. They have a great uh, space in our new building that's going to be really uh, terrific. We're excited about that. And the passage uh, that Emerson read for you from Isaiah 40, it takes us back in time to uh, the 6th century B.C. in a place today we call Iraq, back in the ancient world, Babylon. Uh, the Israelite exiles have been there for decades and decades, and they feel that God has totally given up on them. They're far from home. They're impoverished. They are not well. They are exhausted. They think God has totally written them off. They're entirely abandoned by God. They're riddled with guilt, feeling that they brought it on themselves. They feel like there's no hope, but yet God calls forth a prophet with unbelievable, stunning words of hope. Absolutely amazing to those who are weary to those who are disregarded. Uh, that text uh, transports me back in time, uh, not just to the 6th century B.C., but back to uh, my college days. I, um, I told some of you this before. It's kind of a funny story. I grew up you know, as a heathen person, and uh, when I was in college, I was a heathen person. I had some friends who, they were real religious people. They went to this Episcopal church near campus, they kept inviting me to go, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not a church guy. They kept bugging me, and I'm, that's not me. I'm not going. Leave it alone. And they kept on. I mean, the power of invitation, the power of somebody caring enough about you. So finally, I thought, God, get them off my back. I'll go once. I went once, and I loved it. And I've told some of you why. The reason is not that I heard the gospel, and it changed my life. The reason is I got there, and I looked around, and there were, there were many very attractive women there. And I thought, man, this is great. I'll come back. I kept coming back, and after a while, it wasn't just that there were pretty women there. But there, were, there was a vitality to this group. They, they, there was a joyfulness. There was a, I'd never seen this before. These are like college students, but they were all trying to be all in for God. Like, I'd never seen that before. I'd been to church a little in my life, and I saw people that kind of put off the check marks Sunday morning, been to church. But these guys, they were all in for God. I was moved by that. There was so much joy and vitality. And one of the things they did really well was singing. They didn't have a choir like this, you know, but they sang together with guitars and such. And one of the songs was this passage that Emerson read. And I should have had the choir 
arrange and sing this for the people. I'll give you a little rendition. It went like this. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I know you're you're hoping I'll sing the whole thing for you, (laughs) but that's enough. And they sang this, and I thought about it this week. Uh, Here you have, it's so interesting. It's a passage about those who are existentially weary and physically beaten down by life, cynical, they'd given up on everything. And those of us singing it, we were like 18, 19-year-old college students who didn't feel that way at all. And I wonder if there's something in church music that like you you learn a song and you kind of like it, you don't need it that day, but the day will come when some sorrow descends, and that's the song that you need in your gut somewhere. I have a friend named Tom Long. Uh, He's a Presbyterian pastor, and he tells a story about going to visit a man in the hospital who was dying. And when he got to the hospital room, right before he went in, he could hear some music. When he opened the door, the man was in the bed, and his grown children were gathered around the bed. They were holding hands, and they were singing, you know, the old hymns of the church, you know, great is thy faithfulness, or amazing grace. I don't know what they were. I don't remember that exactly. And Tom came, joined hands with them, uh, sang with them as well. And then when he exited the room, He thought about his son, who's not a churchgoer. So he called his son right outside the room on a cell phone. And he said, son, you have got to start going to church because you need to know these songs for when my time comes. (laughs) I love that. You need to know these songs. And I love the line, you know, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. I mean, I wonder if Tolkien was thinking of that when he came to the climax of the Lord of the Rings and Sam and Frodo have finally found their way to Mount Doom and they've destroyed... Uh, the ring, but it's lava all around them, and there's just no way out, and they're exhausted, and they just can't carry on any further. It seems to be the end, and then these eagles swoop in and lift them up and carry them home to Rivendell. (laughs) I bet Tolkien was thinking of that. Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, the passage that Hannah read, it says that Jesus healed people possessed by many demons. I, I mentioned this two weeks ago. Like You could just say, okay, Jesus healed people possessed by demons. I like to think of it as maybe part of what Jesus wanted to do was to heal people from thinking others were cursed by demons, right? People in the ancient world, I mean, they didn't know what was going on. So when people were sick or had mental health issues or whatever, they would say, well, it must be a demon, and, and that, that's like, that makes it worse, right? You're possessed by evil. That's why you have the trouble that you have. And I think Jesus wanted to heal them from that. Kate Bowler uh, was here on Monday night. Uh, That was pretty interesting. Uh, We just had a mob. People were lined up outside at 5 o'clock. I walked outside and said, this starts at 7. Anyway, place is packed. Kate was her usual self. She was funny and all. But one of the things that we talked about was toxic religion. Like you think, just because you get a little religion, maybe you read a devotional, you, read, you, you say a prayer, somebody says something pious to you, like that's a good thing, but it can be toxic. There are a lot of forms of religiosity that's actually harmful for you because like you think you're getting God, but what you're getting is it's not healthy for you. Jesus doesn't care for toxic religion. Jesus learns that uh, Peter's mother-in-law is near death. So he goes to Peter's home there in Capernaum, and I love what it says, and I read it slowly this week to ponder it. It says that he took her by the hand, he lifted her up, 
and then her fever left her. He begins, right, by he takes her by the hand. I mean, one of our pandemic learnings, hopefully, is that human touch matters. Jesus didn't heal her or anybody else that we know of at some great distance. Jesus would reach out and he would touch people. We are called, you know, like not to mail it in, but we're supposed to reach out and touch people. If you'd asked me before I started thinking about the text this week, I would have said, Jesus took her hand, he healed her, and then she stood up. But no, the text actually says he takes her by the hand, he lifted her up, and then she was healed. There's just something in that, not sure what. But I think what we are supposed to do as a church is we're supposed to lift people up. Whatever's wrong with the world, whatever you think is wrong with people, ours isn't to sit back and judge. We're supposed to take people by the hand and lift them up. And it's just a project that we're never done with. In our church, we have Stephen ministers, and Stephen ministers walk alongside people that are at a sorrowful, challenging moment in their life. They take them by the hand. They lift them up. Nathan, our uh, pastor of missions and community engagement, has been so amazing at this, helping us to remember that, you know, there are people in our world that get politicized and they get debated, you know, immigrants or whoever. And, and what Nathan is, reminds us of all the time is that ours is not to pass judgment on other people at some distance. Ours is to take people by the hand and to lift them up. That's what God asks us to do, is to lift people up. Uh, I want to talk about a hard thing now. I hope that that's uh, okay with you. I figure I'm in my 21st year, so I can talk about uh, hard things with you. So I learned that song at an Episcopal church, and uh, there was so much life and joy there. The singing was great. The, the minister there, was he was a, he was a wonder. Uh, he was absolutely amazing. His name was John Yates. Uh, John became a really famous Episcopalian. I'll tell you that story in a minute. And when the church, I'd never met a minister in my life that I could remember. And this guy, John, I mean, there was a horde of young adults there, but he took an interest in me. Like, I, I was shy. I was, I was clueless. I had no business being in church. I wasn't sure that I'd ever be back. But he, he took an interest in me. He invited me to his home. He would take me to lunch. And what was that about? It just was like, he acted like he was my friend. He was like an, a distant idol to me. But he kept taking me by the hand and lifting me up, and he was actually the first person ever to do this. We were at lunch one day, and there was kind of a, a quiet pause for a minute. And then out of the blue, uh, John said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I promise you, my reaction to that was to turn around. I thought somebody had walked up behind me. <laughs> and I read, like, me? No, no. He said, well, I've been thinking and praying about this. I don't know. It's amazing. Uh, John's very special to me. We've stayed in touch over the years. Uh, I, owe it, I owe my life as a Christian to John. I owe my calling as a pastor to John. I love him. I love him. He's so important to me. But then part of what you need to know is that uh, you've probably followed this. In the United Methodist Church, we've had a big division over the years, and they had the same thing in the Episcopal Church. They just preceded us by a few years. And in that division, uh, John and I have found ourselves on opposite sides of the divide. 
And I can't tell you how personally painful and heartbreaking that is for me. And there are others on that other side of the divide that have been my friends and people that I have loved and worked with. It's so heartbreaking. John's case, he became nationally famous because he went on to be the rector of the Falls Church up in Virginia, probably the, the most lovely church property in all of America. And they wound up in a big court squabble over this and spent over $2 million on attorneys trying to resolve the property dispute there. Heartbreaking to be on this other side of the divide. And the question comes down to what, 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 is, what does God want from the church It is the question. And you know, you, if you've heard me, you know my take on this. My take on church is that God asks us to take people by the hand and lift them up. And it doesn't really matter who they are. In fact, we're supposed to have a special place in our heart for those who have been wounded by the church, for those who feel they may not belong in the church, for those who feel I would not be welcome at a church, for those who feel disenfranchised. I mean, as best I can tell, Jesus didn't come along and draw a moral circle and say, you guys are in and you guys are out. Jesus never did that. Jesus seemed, part of what offended other people about Jesus is that he, he, he touched all the people that nobody was supposed to touch. He conversed with all the people that nobody was, but you were supposed to hang out with these people. And we always think Jesus was so kind all the time. This is false. Jesus had harsh words, and 100% of the time he reserved his harsh words for those who thought they were in a position to pass judgment on somebody else. Jesus had no patience with that. What does it mean to be the church? Jesus healed all. Jesus healed all. Nathan and I were talking the other day. Uh, we're both preaching on the same passage a couple weeks from now, so we were comparing notes that's not really true. Comparing notes, we're stealing from one another. <laughs> and I'd suggest to you, if you're friends, it's not plagiarism, right? It's like we just swap it. Anyhow, so the passage that we're talking about, it has a moment where prayer is involved. So we said, well, we need to talk about prayer. And one of the things that we want to say, not just to the individuals in church, but also to the church, is this. So often in prayer, like we got our prayer list and, you know, you got to get it in quick. So you go through your prayer list quickly. You know, God help with these things, or God help me. Like I'm 911. I'm in trouble. I'm I'm sick. I'm whatever. My mother's sick. Whatever it is that we reach out for. Lord, please hear my prayer. And God loves those prayers. God welcomes those prayers. God treasures those prayers. But God invites us to a deeper life of prayer where instead of just us talking, 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 asking God for things, what God wants us to be able to do is to get very quiet. It takes time, and to be very quiet, and to say with Samuel, the little boy, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's the prayer God wants us as individuals to pray. That's the prayer that God wants a church to pray. I challenged our administrative board the other night to pray that as members of the board, right? Not, don't just come vote at meetings, but pray. Like, Lord, speak, Lord, what? we're listening. What are, what are you asking of us? And whatever God's asking of us, doggone it, we're going to 
do that as best we're able. Even if it's a hard thing. So then, so then I think about things that help me hear God speak to me or ask things of me. I told you before, sometimes it's just the news. You know, you watch the news and like you want to avert your gaze or oh, but, but actually in the news, there are calls from God. These are the troubles of the world. What is God asking us to do in response to the troubles of the world? There are other things that come that I think help us to hear God's call. I know some people don't like me talking about this, but I do it anyway. We've uh, tiptoed now into Black History Month. Black History Month is not a a festival on the Christian calendar. It's not going to be the theme of our worship services for the rest of February. But there's something about black... I always think about my friend Richard Harrison, who's gone on to glory. He was an African-American member of our church. (laughs) Richard loved to say, every month is Black History Month. And then he would say, black history is our history. It was really cool. (laughs) Anyway, Black History Month, like stuff comes up. So we're doing this thing. This is really cool, I think. And it's a good example of why that's a blessing for us. On February the 15th, we're going to show a movie here. And it's a movie that involves two local guys. You may have heard about this. There were two guys that went to Myers Park High School in the late 60s. D. Kirkpatrick and Jimmy Kirkpatrick. D, he's a white guy. He practices as a forensic psychologist. He's my neighbor in Charlotte. We've been in and out of each other's homes. And then Jimmy Kirkpatrick, he was an African-American guy. He was an all-American football player. He was amazing. He left the Carolinas and went and lived out on the West Coast. Well, after he got grown, he got interested in genealogy. You know how people do this. So he's tracing his ancestors, and he discovers that he has an ancestor who was enslaved by Kirkpatrick, who was one of Dee's ancestors, a guy that he remembered from high school. He calls Dee. They strike up a conversation. Those are some hard conversations that you have, right? And these two guys, they're amazing. They became best friends. And I don't mean official public best friends. They're like really best friends. They like vacation together. Their kids are attendants in each other's weddings. I mean, they're amazing. And we have a movie coming up about this. I mean, what a happy moment out of black history that this thing of reconciliation happened. It's just so hopeful, instructive for all of us. So there's another thing that's been hitting me lately. I'll just share it with you. I uh, landed a podcast uh, the other day with this guy named Jonathan Eig. He's an award-winning biographer. He wrote a book that came out this year about Martin Luther King. He'd written an award-winning biography earlier about Lou Gehrig. So in preparing to talk to him, I looked through his other books, and he had a book, a biography, it's the definitive biography of Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, right? At first, then he became Muhammad Ali. This book, this book is amazing. I laughed out loud, I don't know, 50 times reading it. And Muhammad Ali, if you're young, you may not know this. He was like the heavyweight boxing champion. He was a horrible person. And he was a wonderful person. He was a generous person. He was a violent person. He was a brilliant person. He was a total knucklehead. He was any adjective you think of that fits Muhammad Ali at some point point in his life. The thing that was true of Muhammad Ali is people could not take their eyes off him. Love him or hate him, people couldn't stop paying attention to Muhammad Ali. Now, he was aware of this, and he loved the attention. So, of course, he said things like, I am the greatest, or I love this one. He would say, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. (laughs) 
But he also started talking about race, and he did this in the 60s and early 70s, and he helped change society. He had, he, so there's one interview with him. He, he said, you know, when I was little, I'd ask my mama and say, Mama, why is everything white? You look at angels. All the angels are white. Why aren't there any black angels? We, we have a white house. Why, why don't we have a black house? Why, why everything? Tarzan of the jungle in the middle of Africa. It's a white guy. Like, what is that? What is that about? Then bad things are black. Like, if I blackmail you, that's bad. Or devil's food cake. <laughs> Just ramble on. I love this one. He said, why do you call us Negroes? He said, people are always named for the place where they're from. Mexicans are from Mexico. Italians are from Italy. Egyptians are from Egypt. Where's Negroes? This is not a place. I thought that was funny. <laughs> then he used to tell a story that wasn't so funny. He said, imagine that uh, you're in bed with your partner and there's a house fire. And you look, you think, oh my gosh, the house is on fire. And you look up, and right above the bed, there's this two-by-four timber that's about to fall. So you get up, and you get out of the house. But as soon as you get out of the house, you remember, oh gosh, my partner, I left him up there asleep. Uh, but the house is coming down now. Like, oh, I should have done something for him. But then your partner manages to escape the house, and he comes up to you and says, why did you leave me asleep? I could have died in there. And then Muhammad Ali said, this was a big deal back in the late 60s. And maybe today, he said, white America has left black America in the house for 300 years. Hey, you may not think that that's so, but I want to try to, anything like that, I want to say, speak, Lord. There's just something in that. Yeah, what is it? What are you asking the church. It's hidden in the founding fathers, interestingly enough. You have to love the founding fathers. What a collection of geniuses that America was blessed at, at his birth. I mean, just the, these astonishing men, and they came up with just timeless truths that are so, so marvelous. All men are created equal. I mean, that's the linchpin of American life, except you have to own that they weren't thinking Oh, and women. It was just all men are created equal, and they certainly weren't thinking all colors of men are created equal. I don't fault them for this. They were creatures of their day, and I even wonder if they unwittingly were speaking wisdom and truth, although they couldn't comprehend it all. I wonder even if the Holy Spirit manages sometimes to move among politicians Wait, that's a reach, isn't it? That God somehow, sometimes manages to move among even politicians and they come up with something that actually speaks the truth in the heart of God, even though they may not understand it themselves. All men, all, all are created equal. All are to be included. God's healing is for all. It's for all. You know, last thing, the uh, Israelites in exile, they heard these words from the prophet, and I'm sure they thought, that's just total nonsense. There's no way that God could act. And the way the prophet responds to this criticism is to say, just look around. Look at creation. Look at all that God's made. I mean, God made, you know, the skies, the heavens, the stars, the animals, the mountains, the oceans. <laughs> 
God made all of this. And if God could do that, God, God probably could help you. If God could do that, God probably could deliver Israel. If God could do that, God might even help our church. If God could do that, God, this is a reach. God might even heal our country. Wow, that is, like, is God great enough for that? Yes. Yes, Kate Bowler and I talked about one of the uh, moments. We have a book she wrote that we're recommending that you read during Lent. It's called Have a Beautiful, Terrible Day. What a great title. And one of the installments is about wonder. It says a lot of times when you're anxious or you're down or you're depressed, what you totally lost is your sense of wonder. She said our hope comes in recovering wonder. Like, get outside, look around, let your jaw drop, be in awe. I love this. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, Oh, Lord, I, I stopped praying for happiness, and instead I prayed for wonders, and you gave them to me. <laughs> wonders. Friends, it's such a privilege to be part of God's church. Be the people of God that we do what nobody else really does all that much. We take people by the hand and we lift them up. We trust in God's healing. We trust in God's hope. As hopeless as things may seem, it's never hopeless because of the power of God. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. God of all beauty in the heavens and throughout the world, here we sit in awe, inspired, comforted, and hopeful because of what we know you have and continue to create is beauty the beauty of one another, sister, brother, friend, stranger, even enemy. There is beauty in all of us. As we sit in this beautiful sanctuary beside our beautiful neighbor, let us remember that beauty just abounds. And it is something that we should not take for granted or overlook. And God, when we do, Forgive us. Forgive us when we neglect the beauty in one another. Forgive us when we'd rather pass judgment on someone who might not look or talk like we do to position ourselves ahead of them. Forgive us when we neglect the beauty of this earth. Forgive us when we don't seek opportunities to till, sow, and harvest your beauty that we know is there for all within us through the Spirit. Lord, in your mercy. God, we know you so deeply ache for us to be made whole with you and with one another. So we pray today that we will seek reconciliation and healing with you so we might do the same with those whom we are estranged. May we see with your eyes. May we feel with your tenderness. 
May we listen with your compassionate ear so that we will be drawn close to those whom the world has excluded and that we do nothing other than seek to include. May we reach out to those who are missing, those who are missing in our pews, those who are missing in our world of experiencing your love. Let us be attentive to the cries and the movements in our communities and the world so that we might be a presence of your love and hope. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful God, we pour out our hearts for those who are sick, for those who are stressed and anxious, for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one this day. God, our hearts ache for the pains of this world, for the ongoing violence, for the ongoing loss of life in Palestine and Gaza and Israel, for the loss of life here in the streets of Charlotte, near and far, O oh God, there are people hurting and crying. May our ears listen well so that we might be more and more like Jesus every day, extending hands to lift neighbors up, extending our own hands to be lifted up so that we might come together in beautiful community. Lord, in your mercy. God, you have heard our prayers spoken aloud, and we know that you know the ones that weigh heavy on our hearts. So here we are, yours, saying to you now, speak for your servants are listening. Speak, for your servants are listening. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray together, saying, One of the most beautiful things about this church is your generosity of hospitality, where we always seek ways that we can go beyond the threshold and also care for those within the midst of our community. One of the great ways that we care for those who might be coming to visit the church and those who might not um, be able to walk so far is through our shuttle ministry. Um, it's resuming from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. every single Sunday. You can park at Myers Park Traditional Elementary School, and you'll get shuttled here so that we can create space for those who need to park closer. And it's through your generosity, through our offerings, that makes this possible. Give generously.
generous God, what a joy it is to give back unto you and to your work that we might join with you for the transformation of this world for your love's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. let me ask you to be seated for just a moment. Eight years ago, a bright light entered our church family. <laughs> Nathan Arledge has been our pastor of missions and community engagement. Way more than that, he's been a great friend, he's been an inspiration, he's led us to places <clears throat> where God has called us to go in just so many beautiful ways. 
Uh, what I'm about to try to explain to you, I don't fully understand. Our bishop uh, has reached out. Uh, one of our uh, impactful churches in our area, the Harrison United Methodist Church, is at a really pivotal time in their history. Their pastor left in December. They need outstanding leadership now. So the bishop reached out and asked if Nathan could come as an interim senior pastor there. Uh, we have together embraced that call. It is not clear if Nathan will be back at the end of that interim or if he will stay. This is unprecedented. We've never done this before. So we will see and we will hold this in prayer. But uh, as Nathan begins work there tomorrow, uh, I wanted us to send him out today. So I'd love it if we could all circle up and lay hands on him. That wouldn't work very well. <clears throat> so let me ask you where you're seated just to raise a hand toward Nathan. Excellent. And repeat after me. Nathan, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for your life, for your love, for your calling. We love you. We send you. We know that you will be a blessing. We will pray for you. We'll pray for the Harrison Church. We will pray for your family. You will always be one of us. Join me in. And friends, now would you stand for our benediction? And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore.